0: Thank you. Wow. That goes down as the best online introduction I've ever experienced. You may all stay standing, stay standing, stay standing, stay standing. Hey, we are just so grateful to be here. We have had 18 months. I had to break the law to be here from the UK, okay? Don't tell anyone, okay? Not anyone online. Don't you tell anyone, but we're here, okay? I'm double jabbed, I'm safe, I'm secure, and I'm ready to bring the word today. By the way, I didn't really break the law. My wife is American, and my kids are American, and it's just good to get out. This is the first Sunday in our church in the UK we've been legally allowed to sing for 18 months. I said legally. I didn't say we haven't been singing <laughs> and it is just such a privilege to be here i know and i know it's been a difficult time for many and for our church uh I, they've just been sending me reports back is the first sunday we've had uh, no social distancing in church and people are scared eh? people are just running scared and we're rebuilding we're literally rebuilding from the ground up the start of the pandemic, we probably had 17 1,800 in church. We're probably around five, 600 now, and so we have to start again. And I was actually feeling pretty emotional standing there and worship as that as that dear girl was singing, I exalt thee, because I haven't been in a crowd. I haven't been in a crowd for 16, 17 months. I haven't stood like this in a church. I haven't been able to see my church's faces because they've been covered in masks. Most of them don't come, and this is pretty emotional for me, so... If I get a little emotional today, it's just because you guys are ahead of the curve. <laughs> I quite like it. <laughs> but let me tell you what the enemy meant for evil. God is turning around for his good and his glory. And well done. And I want to say huge, huge welcome to all of the online campuses in Frisco and Prosper and Wiley and here in the room in Allen, to all of the online e-community. so great that you're joining us today. Yeah, I've got a feeling God's going to do something pretty special. I feel like I've been unleashed a little bit today. I'm, no offense, but I've been staring at this red dot. You know what the red dot is? It's the camera. It's a little dot. I've been literally preaching to a red dot for 18 months, and I'm just glad to see faces, people, not just eyes. Um, so, so good. And thank you so much to your pastors. Passes Dustin and Jamie, you guys are amazing. You know, I, I honestly feel at home, and this is the fourth time I've been here. You guys are like family. I walk in, you're so warm, so friendly. It is hot out there. <laughs> oh, my goodness me. Wow. We've been in cold England for a long time, and that feels good. And uh, by the way, the queen sends her love. She couldn't be here today. Um... But she asked, she's got a couple of little family things happening. She can't, she's got to figure out uh, with her grandson and that. But anyway, she sends her love, and she wishes she could be here. She, she loves Alan. She loves Frisco and Wiley and all, the, all all you guys. So thank you, Pastor Keon, and thank you, thank you Pastor Cameron as well. This is just a, such a great experience. So you can start my clock now. And... Uh, <laughs> We're going to have a lot of fun in church today. Who knows that church should be enjoyed, not endured? I grew up enduring church. I came to church, like your pastor said, to tick a box. But that's not what we can do. Jesus wants you to enjoy life. Hey, you got to enjoy Jesus. I think Jesus is just great. Should we pray? All right. Is everyone standing up? The reason you've got to stand up is you're closer to heaven. Some of you, anyway. I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Father God, we just thank you for everyone in the room, everyone online, everyone at all the various campuses around this area. Father, I thank you. I just sense, I haven't been here for 18 months, but I can sense how much this church is just moving forward. This is a progressive church on so many levels, and I am so grateful for the pastors here, for what God is doing, and I thank you it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by your spirit. Yes. I pray for these, uh, these next hour and a half as I preach, Lord, you give people patience and endurance in Jesus' name, amen. amen, amen, amen. You guys can take your seats. You may joke, I went to Bishop Jake's church last time I was in Dallas, we were in there three hours, 15 minutes. I was like, this is like a Netflix box set, it was boom, 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 it was amazing. All right, so we've been in lockdown for um, around 18 months. We just, we just get it out of all that. And uh, during lockdown, everyone, there was a mask mandate. I know it kind of happened here, but you guys didn't really do it. But they did do it in England. And um, everyone's wearing masks. And so I, I wrote a book called Unmasked. It's not a political book. It's a book about not physical masks, but invisible masks. The fact is that many of us have been wearing physical masks for the last few months, but the reality is many of us have been wearing visible masks for the majority of our lives. And so I wanted to write a book to help people. This is a book that you could give to someone at work who doesn't know Christ, and it's full of biblical principles, but I wanted to write a a, a book for the unchurched, and write a book for many of us who've dealt with masks like rejection, you've been rejected in a relationship, in a marriage, many of you. I've dealt with fear. I felt like I was going to lose my church at one point dealt with anxiety. I talk a lot about um, perfectionism is a mask that I've dealt with. I feel like I've always got to be perfect. And so I talk about some of these deals and then we, then we land on the heaviest mask of them all, which is sin. And people say, well, why didn't you start the book with sin? If you start a book for the unchurched with sin, they ain't going to read past the first page. <laughs> so I decided to put it right at the end and it finishes the sinner's prayer. And I've had people all over the world who've sent, written me and said, hey, people found Christ through it and go on this journey. And I figured if they read the first nine chapters, they're just going to read the 10th chapter, say they finished the book, and it's the final bit which leads them to Christ. And so, hey, if you've got people in your world, it's available. In fact, there's a, some copies available at the back. I'll be there. I'm happy to meet you at the back afterwards. It's also on Amazon and uh, US, so you can, uh, you, can, you can sort that as well, but on Apple Books, Kindle, so you're welcome to get a copy of that. But really the verse for the book comes from 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, And we who have unveiled or unmasked faces all reflect the Lord's glory, and we are being transformed into His likeness. Our goal in this life is not to get a bigger house. It's not to get more qualifications. Even though all those things are good things. Our goal is to be transformed into his likeness. What does that mean? To become more like Jesus. Who knows that this world would be a better place if people acted more like Jesus. Jesus is kind. Jesus is pure. Jesus is holy. Jesus is lovely. Jesus is loving. Jesus is everything this world needs. I'm going to give you a couple of takeaways as we go through the message, but the first takeaway is this, is transformation in our lives begins by recognition. Recognizing areas, masks that we wear, and at the start of every one, I do 10 chapters and I've taught taught 10 10 of these messages, they're all on YouTube, you can catch up with them, but at the start of every single one of these, most people's reaction to the chapter or to the message is, this isn't for me. But as we drill down, suddenly we can see ourselves in these areas. And in the book, these 10 masks, all of these masks are 10 masks that I've personally struggled with. So I've dealt with these. I've dealt with insecurity. Insecurity is a big thing, especially for blokes. We just don't like to talk about it. Why are you nudging your you spouse? I can see what's going on. You know, the worst thing in the world, I think, is to not know Jesus. By the way, if you don't know Jesus at the end of this service, it's going to give you an opportunity to get to know him. And it's the best decision you'll ever make. But the second worst decision is to know Jesus and not enjoy it. How's that possible? I think that's possible because of this mask that we tackle halfway through the book, and it's a really dirty word, but I'm going to tackle it today. It's called shame. Shame. I deal with guilt and shame. I call them the terrible twins. How can we enjoy life if we don't like ourselves? It's very difficult. let just park that thought there. I'm a bit of an Apple groupie. Okay, I've got the watch. I've got the iPad. I've got the laptop. I've got... Who, who's with me? Who's a bit of a groupie? All right, friends. I love my new fa- my new family. Who's an Android fan? Okay, I'd like you guys just to stand up and head towards the back door. And I know I'm kidding. God God still loves you. And who just doesn't care? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I've just got to... I've got a Nokia, <laughs> I can play Snake on my phone, I know you guys, yeah, do you remember those days on Snake, <laughs> the preacher no good, you pull out the Nokia, you just like, <laughs> <laughs> so a few months ago, my MacBook stopped working, I went to the Apple Genius Bar, and I'd attempted numerous soft resets, that, you know, you call them up, they say, just do a reboot, normally a reboot solves all your problems, but this time it didn't. And Nothing changed, so I went to the Apple Genius Bar, and this guy carried out what is known as a hard reset. It cleared all the caches, and uh, it's a factory reset, which basically means it puts it back to where it began. As I was at the desk at the Genius Bar, I felt the Holy Spirit talk to me as when I became a Christian... God didn't just do a soft reset or a reboot in my life. He didn't just deal with a few things. He did a factory reset, which he means he created me again. That's why we call born again. Hebrews 8.12 says, God will remember our shortcomings no more. Come on, Frisco. Give me something back. (laughs) Christ died so that we could have security and freedom in Christ. The whole premise of this book is dare to be the real you. Not be the you that everyone else wants you to be, but be the you that God created you to be. Have you ever seen a group of children? They're just running around so free. I tell you why, because they're not wearing masks. They're not dealing with insecurity at seven or fear or anxiety. All they know is their daddy and mommy are going to protect them. He's going to provide for them. They're just going to look after them. And God wants us to get us back to childlike faith where suddenly we are free again. Because as we get older, all I'm seeing is mask after mask. So shame and security cannot coexist. You either walk in security, which is freedom, or walk in shame. What is shame? Well, in the book I describe it as a feeling of feeling worthless, not worthy of love. And I meet so many Christians. as a pastor. I pastor a, a church in Norwich, England. We're back in the Premier League, praise God. And uh, play Liverpool in two weeks, you need to pray for us. But I meet so many followers of Christ who, do, who don't know how to deal with shame. Maybe they made a choice at college in a relationship. Maybe they made a choice in their business and it went wrong. And so they're living with this mask of shame. Maybe has anyone heard those words, shame on you. And the devil wants to put shame on us as believers. I've had many moments in my life of immense shame. I've experienced regrets. I've made mistakes. I've let myself down. I'm determined that shame will not define my life. And today might be a little tender at times, but I promise you today, if you embrace this message, you can be the real you. So, good. so I want to just talk for the next few moments on shame unmasked. Shame unmasked. In Europe in the 17th century, a shame mask was placed on prisoners, mainly females, who committed violent crimes. Men and women were forced to wear this mask mask of cold steel in public. When the woman would open her mouth, a spike would go into her tongue and pierce it to stop her speaking. They were made of many different mortifying designs, but mainly pigs, to bring an extra sense of shame. It was the ultimate disgrace to wear that mask. Thankfully today we don't have to wear iron or steel masks of shame but the devil is still trying to put masks on us invisible masks Jesus himself understood shame his crucifixion was just more was more than just a death Romans would crucify Jews naked as the ultimate picture of shame Then above his head, it said, Jesus, King of the Jews. What kind of king would be hanging naked on a cross in front of his own people? What? It was shame. Jesus, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. God wants you and I to live in freedom because he has paid for our shame. Now, we're going to, just in in a couple of minutes, we're going to to show how we deal, how we peel back this mask of shame. But I want to just help you understand what shame does in a person's life. There's three or four things it does. Number one is this. Shame breeds fear. 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 Fear that will be exposed. Fear that someone's going to find out what we did in our younger years. Fear that someone will find out something in our past. So shame breeds fear. So people live in fear because of shame. The second thing shame does is shame breeds blame. Yeah. What's the first thing we do when we feel shame? We want to get rid of it. So what do we do? Try and blame someone else. Yeah, oh, Adam blames Eve or Eve blames Adam. I can't remember which way around it was. There was a lot of blaming going on in the, in the garden. What does shame do? It leads to blame. that scripture, we see shame leads to blame. In a relationship, someone go for a door. It was his fault. It was her fault. Why? Because the sense of shame in a divorce, in a marriage, what do we do? We want to blame. Shame always leads to blame. We get defensive. The third thing that shame breeds, and you need to understand this because this is why the enemy uses it so much, is shame breeds disconnection. Whenever relationships are breaking down, Shame is close by. One of the the main reasons that people disconnect from church, disconnect from their small group, is maybe they make a choice. They're not proud of That leads to shame. It leads to blame. And they feel like, I can't come back into church because of the decisions, the choices I make. So the easiest thing is just to disconnect from God, to disconnect from church. Thousands of people come through the doors of church, but they feel a sense of shame, and they don't feel like they're good enough. Thankfully, the Bible has a lot to say about this mask. Isaiah 54, verse 4. he says, do not fear. It's interesting that he says, do not fear first, before he speaks about shame. You will not be ashamed, neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. You will forget the shame of your youth. Isaiah the prophet, he recognizes it's the choices we've often made in our younger years which cause us to live shame in our later life. Our younger years. By the way, notice it doesn't say, forget the mistakes of your youth. God doesn't want you to forget your mistakes as you might make the same mistake again. He wants you to forget the shame attached to your mistakes. This is the thing, we can't erase the mistakes. We've all made mistakes, starting with me. But God wants to remove shame from your life. Shame is what attaches itself to you. God wants you to live in freedom, not shame. There will be many of you today that you came in with shame. Maybe you did something. You looked at something last night. But God wants you to walk out in freedom today. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Instagram can't set you free. Facebook can't set you free. Your friend can't set you free. It is only the Son of God who can set you free. And once you are free, he says, hey, you can live free indeed. All right. That was the intro. That was a good start, hey? We good? You got the accent? Someone's like, I just came to church to hear the accent. I don't care what he says. (laughs) Answer to removing the mask of shame. Are you ready? To remove the mask of shame, we've got to confront shame-based thinking. So we're going to confront some of our thoughts today because right living begins with right thinking. If you want to live right, you've got to think right. And the Bible gives us four simple steps to removing the mask of shame. You might be sitting there today going, well, I haven't got any shame. Good on you, but your friend at work might do, so take notes. They might need them tomorrow, okay? So let's all, let's all lean in. Are you ready? Number one, the first thing to unmask shame in our lives is name the shame. First step is to recognize areas we've been carrying past shame and name it. Revelation 12.10. Talks about the accuser of the church. One of Satan's names, one of the devil's names is the accuser. Satan is constantly trying to accuse you, remind you of what you did, what you should be, what you could be. Satan is constantly trying to accuse us, and he says, You didn't read your Bible today. You haven't prayed for a week. You haven't, you're not really a proper Christian. You weren't nice to your wife this morning. No more nudging. You could have done better at work this week. You could have studied harder for the exam. And Satan is constantly trying to accuse the church. And often we've been living with shame for so long, we put the mask on like putting our shoes and socks on before we go to work. Because it's just become a part of who we are. But I believe we've got to be vulnerable with ourselves today and name the shame. The devil hates it when you name shame. Why? Because you shame him. Because the devil is shame. He is the accuser. 2010, my dad, I was living in Cape Town, South Africa, part of the Hillsong Church there, the team that pioneered it, and we were living out there for six years, and I got a phone call from my sister to say my dad was dying of leukemia. And it was just six short weeks later, he passed away. Many of you, you know what that kind of turbulence is in a person's life when you lose a loved one, especially maybe in this season, people haven't even been able to be with their loved ones on their deathbeds. And I experienced that and trying to go back and forth, but I lived with this sense of shame. I felt guilty for months. I was trying to help everyone else, but I couldn't be there for the person who needed me most. And the devil said, you didn't pray enough. You didn't fast enough. You weren't there enough. You didn't say the right things at the right time. Who knows what I'm talking about right now? Come on, let's just have some honesty shame. And for 12 months, I lived with this sense of I could have done more. But God said to me, I want to remove shame, John. And every, every single one of the masks that we deal with in the book, I talk about a personal experience that I've been through, that I felt rejected, I felt fear, I felt anxious, to help people understand we need to be more vulnerable in the pulpit. We're just human. You know that song, I'm only human after all, that's, just, that's us pastors, we just human, we just human, we deal with stuff and that's why I wanted to write this book to try and go hey, we're just trying to deal with stuff in life and work through it and today I believe through the help of the Holy Spirit we can make peace with our pain, we can make peace with some of the things in our lives so the question is this, what shame are you wearing today? I know this is uncomfortable because you're thinking, I wanted a car, and Pastor John normally gives that this belongs to God and builds us up, and we all, case. sera, But reality is, is wouldn't it be amazing today if we dealt with some of that, that deep stuff? You've got to name it. Next step is this. You've got to name the shame, then you've got to shame the shame. Shame the shame. The devil cannot wait for you and I to open our eyes in the morning because the first thing the devil wants to say to you is these two words, you're not. You're not. You're not. You're not good enough. Some of you felt the devil say, You're not good enough to come to church this week because of the stuff you did this week. You're not good enough to get a job. You're not good enough to get healed. You're not good enough to get married. The devil said to me, You're not good enough to write this book. I didn't even qualify in English literature. I'm from England. (laughs) We came up with that language. I sent it to the publisher. They sent me it back. They said, "Uh, Mr. Norman, thank you for your book. It has 2,000 mistakes. It's only got 50,000 words. That's like one a page. And I'm kind of joking around now, but let me tell you, I I felt the devils just say, you're not good enough to write a book. Who are you? You didn't grow up in a posh school. You didn't grow up in a posh suburb. For some of you, you you've listened to the devil's lie of you're not. You're not. You're not good enough to lead this church. Do you know how many times I've felt that over the last 18 months? Leading a church for a pandemic. By the way, they didn't do a pandemic semester at Bible school. (laughs) Pastor Dustin James, they never got taught how to lead a church for a pandemic. We got got taught the 600 Levitical laws at college. By the way, they've been really helpful over the last 18 months. (laughs) They've been Brilliant. And so we can live with this sense of you're not, you're not qualified. You're not good looking enough. You're not tall enough. You're not the right shape. And we live with the devil constantly putting shame on the church. You're not, you're not, you're not. And you know what happens? Eventually we end up agreeing with him. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. By the way, be careful. The Bible says where two or three come into agreement. You can come into agreement with the wrong person as well as the right person. Then we go out for lunch with a friend and she says her shame, you share your shame and it's gone from you're not, you're not, you're not to I'm not, I'm not, I'm not to we're not, we're not, we're not. Suddenly we get. Growing up, I wasn't a fighter. I was a talker. However, However quick you were with your tongue, I was just a little bit quicker and I could strike back very quickly with my tongue. But if you wanted to fight, I was going to run quickly. <laughs> but as, as believers, here's what we've got to do. We've got to shame the shame. Now, I'm not sure if they teach this in school anymore, so please, if you're a teacher, if this offends you, I'm sorry, okay? But I was taught at a school, if you got bullied, now I think they might give you th- five steps and a video and a YouTube video to help you get through this now, I don't know, but I was taught at school, if you got bullied, there's only one thing you do, you stand up to the bully. Is that right, old school? You bully the bully. Yeah. Yeah, I know things have changed and it's all more philosophical now, and we're good. And... But you've got to stand up to the devil you got to stand up. When he comes to you in the morning and he says, you're not, you're not, you're not. This is where you stand up and you stand your ground. And this is our comeback. Last time I was here, we had some fun with this belongs to God. Well, this is your takeaway tagline from John Norman in 2021. Are you ready? This is our declaration to the devil. We come back at him with, I am, I am I am. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am as bold as a lion. I am a new creation. I am a child of God. I am complete in Him. I am alive in Christ. I am free from the law of sin and death. I am born of God. Now let's try this. Now, this is going to be really difficult because I'm going to have to play the devil. I don't know if for some of you that's going to be... Very tricky to think of me in that, in that light. But I'm going to say, you're not, you're not, you're not. And you say, well, why are, we, why are we doing this in church? Well, let me tell you. Because I'm not going to be in your bedroom when you wake up in the morning. I'm going to be with my wife, okay? And the devil's going to say, you're not good enough to go to work today. You're not good enough to read your Bible. You're not good enough to get that promotion. You've got to make a decision in that moment whether you come into agreement with him. You're right, I'm not. Or you stand up, and you take your authority, and you say, I am, I am, I am. So just before we do that, let me just give you a little context, and then we're going to have some fun here. you ready? Exodus three fourteen. Moses says to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to him? God said to Moses, watch what God calls himself. He says, I am who I am. And he said, Say to the people of Israel, I am, has sent me to you. Now, I am not just going to sit around and allow the enemy to tell me, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I'm going to get some spiritual grit, I'm going to get some courage, and I'm going to stand. And when you say the words, I am, you are declaring God's sovereignty, you are declaring God's word. You're not just, it's not cliche. It's not cliche. This is declaring God's name over the enemy. So are you ready? I'm devil. You're you. You're not, you're not, you're not. I ain't scared. Come on, get some Holy Ghost boldness. You ready? You're not, you're not, you're not. I like that. I'm going to try this middle section. You're not, you're not, you're not. Better. Are you ready? You're not, you're not, you're not. Now, if an enemy came at you, would you sit down? Or would you get some courage and stand up? Come on, this is where faith gets brought into action. This is where faith shifts from being comfortable to uncomfortable. Some of you got to take authority over some of the things in your home, in your business. And when the enemy starts throwing invoices that you can't pay, he says, you're not able to do that. You stand up in your office and you say, I am, I am, I am, because you are declaring the righteousness of God. Here we go. Are you ready? You're not, you're not, you're not. You're not, you're not, you're not. (laughs) Something's happened. See, this little fellow, what's his name? Joshua? Yeah, yeah, of course it's Joshua. Because Joshua's the one who went over into the land of Canaan before anyone else. Of course Joshua's on his feet. You're not, you're not, you're not. (laughs) See what that is? That's authority that's taking authority over the enemy's words in your life. And every day, t- every time you say I am, I am, I am, what are you doing? You're declaring God's word over your situation. God's word over your family. I know what I'm not in the flesh, but I know who I am in the spirit. You got to name it. You got to shame it. You got to stop that clock. Number 3, you got to share it. You got to share the shame. Shame dies when our story is told in safe places. Ain't just, it's not just enough to name it and shame it. You've got to share it. Right. What happens when we, when we leave shame, it spreads like a cancer. When you internalize it, it spreads. After I went through this shame with my situation with my family, I went and saw a, a friend in Australia. He's a teacher, he's a preacher, godly man. And I sat down with him for an hour or two and I just shared how I was feeling. And he was able just to pray and put his arm around me and talk to me about freedom in Christ. See, we can't change the past. We can't. We'd all love to change the mistakes of the past, but we can change the shame of the day. Today, God wants to remove shame. We can't change what happened at college. We can't change what happened in that business deal. We can't. It's done. God doesn't want you to live in shame over it. This is why being in a group in church is so important because relationships are established. If you're not in a group, a small group, a midweek group, an online group, find a group, please. Your pastors haven't asked me to say this. I just know how important it is because it's in those groups of trust that you can begin to share your feelings and your pains, your disappointments and your hurts. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens so we fulfill the law of Christ. We've got to name it, we've got to shame it, we've got to share it, and number four, we've got to shut it. Why? Because shame will keep trying to creep back on us. You might be feeling, I feel good. I feel like, yeah, I'm ready to take on the world. And then you get a phone call tomorrow and something brings it back. This is why shame doesn't die easily, it dies daily. It doesn't die easily. We've got to separate ourselves from it we can never leave behind things we fail to separate from if you want to leave behind that abusive relationship you need to separate yourself from it someone needs to hear that today if you want to leave behind that relationship that's pulling your life back you need to delete the number if you want to leave behind that gambling addiction on your phone get rid of the phone Why? Because we can never leave behind things in life that we fail to separate from. Some of you, you're dealing with shame, but you keep making the same mistakes. And God is saying today, the Holy Spirit is saying, you've got to separate. You've got to submit yourselves to God, James 4, 7. Resist the devil and he. Resist the shamer, the accuser. And he will flee. So when we get up in our bedroom and it might sound crazy and your neighbor's wondering why you're shouting out the window, I am, I am, I am. What you're doing is you're resisting the devil before he starts messing with your head, messing with your mind. You say, I am, I am, I am. How do we, how do we daily shut the shame around? I'm going to give you four things really quickly. Take notes. Number one is this. You've got to remember, feelings are always deceptive. I feel shame, I feel guilt, I feel dirty. Devil says shame on you, God says grace on you. God's grace on you. The second thing is this, you've got to remember that God's love, His love and His forgiveness are never ending. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. It is new every morning. I don't know what you've done this week, I don't know what you've done in your past, God sent me here all the way from Norwich, England today to tell you that you cannot fall out of God's grace. You can only fall into it. God's love just wants to capture you again. and He wants to remind you that you're forgiven and you're loved. But why, I keep asking myself, why does God keep forgiving me? Why does God keep forgiving John Norman when I sin and screw up? Even as a pastor, I fall short. Why does God keep forgiving me? Do you ever wonder why God keeps forgiving you? Here's the answer because He wants relationship with you. Because He wants a relationship with you. My wife Chantel, she keeps forgiving me. Because her desire for relationship with me is stronger than my mistakes. You can overcome any human mistake towards you if your desire for relationship is stronger. You can get through a messy relationship breakdown. You can get, get through anything that's happened in a messy situation as long as your desire for relationship is stronger than the mistake against you. You see, you're not defined by the shame of your past. Isaiah, he says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am beginning to do a new thing. God wants to do something new in your life. The shamer wants to define you by your mistakes. God says today, no, you're defined by my my grace. Your past, your present, your future sins have all been covered by the grace of God. I'm going to finish with this story. There was a father who decided to make his son, Billy, a video. It was a highlight reel of his soccer career. And on Billy's birthday, his dad played in this, this video. And Billy began to watch clip after clip overhead goals, scissor kicks, free kicks penalty kicks I mean you'd think he was Lionel Messi and Billy sat back and said to his dad wow, that was amazing dad, was I really that good what, what Billy didn't realise is that his dad he'd made him look better than he really was he cut out all the fouls all the red cards all the missed goals, all the missed chances all the missed opportunity All that was left was all of Billy's best moments. As I read that story, I thought that's exactly what our Heavenly Father has done for us. God edits out our lives for the good. He takes all the mistakes at college. He takes all the situations, all the sin, all the stuff out, all the wayward moments out of the video. They didn't make the final cut. And God, the master editor, He says, I'm going to remove your sin, remove your mistakes, and I'm going to replace it with my righteousness so you can stand in confidence in me and say that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And when the devil comes to you and says, you're not, you're not, you're not, you come back at Him and say, I am, I am, I am, I am confident in whom I have believed. Come on, if anyone's grateful for the grace of God, if anyone is going to stand today and say, who the Son sets free, is free indeed, I'm going to stop remembering what God has forgotten in Jesus' name.